0: Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me Devotional Program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, just a photographer who's been at it for over 30 years. But if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing. the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about the cross collection It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week I share a devotional inspired by the name of one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of scripture. This week's devotional is inspired by the separation, which is an image from the in-between days of my shooting the cross, meaning that even though the entire foreground is a silhouette, you can see that there's grass around the base of the cross. And if you can see grass around the cross, that means that that was the area before the ground was broke. However, in this image, there's a a pre-foreground or a, a foreground before the foreground in front of the cross, which indicates that this was very soon after the ground was broken. And what is unique about this image is that in the foreground, you see a series of boulders, some that are small and medium size and several that are very large. But right past that, there's a deep gap or a gouge in the earth, or a canyon between the foreground and the pre-foreground, or between the foreground and the cross. And since this photo is taken so long after sunset, the area behind the boulders and before the cross creates the illusion of a very impossible chasm in deep darkness. The image creates the illusion of a huge chasm between where you, the viewer, are standing and the cross on the other side. But beyond the imagery reasons, what is the other reason that I chose the name of the separation? Well, the first scripture that comes to mind is in 1 Timothy 2, five, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Which, if you think about it, could be said a different way, as in John 14.6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The inference is that Jesus is not a sacrifice, but he was the sacrifice. The cross was a tool used to facilitate the sacrifice. A tool, like a bridge, is a more effective tool across a body of water than a ferry is. The cross is the bridge across that deep, dark abyss separating us from God. It has the power not just to enable a right relationship with God, but one that sanctifies, seals, and solidifies our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And once saved, we are always covered by God's grace. As it says in Romans 8.35, "...who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword?" I say glory to God for removing the separation through His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It reminds me of a quote by E. Stanley Jones, which says, At the cross, God wrapped His heart in flesh and blood and let it be nailed to the cross for our redemption. But what does that mean when you get to the other side? To me, it means that you become a forgiven person. And psychologists generally define forgiveness as a Conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Just as important as defining what forgiveness is, is an understanding of what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting, nor does it mean condoning or excusing offenses. Though forgiveness can help repair a damaged relationship, it doesn't obligate you to reconcile with the person who harms you or release them from legal accountability. Note, what I just read to you is a very secular perspective and does not address a much bigger question. What does forgiving others mean? What does forgiving yourself mean? I agree. Forgiveness is often defined as a deliberate decision to let go of feelings of anger, resentment, and retribution towards someone who you believed has wronged you. However, while you should, biblically, be quite generous in your ability to forgive others, you may be much harder on yourself. Everyone makes mistakes, but learning how to learn from these errors, let go, and move on And forgive yourself is important for mental health and well-being. Self-forgiveness is not about letting yourself off the hook, nor is it a sign of weakness. Forgiveness means that you accept what has happened and you are willing to move past it and move on with your life without ruminating over past events, events that cannot be changed. Let me share a perspective on how I view it. For those of you who have been listening to the devotional series, you will recall that I often refer to the duality and polarity of light. Why light? Because the waves of light and the waves inside of matter make up everything in our existence and consciousness. These waves, to operate as intended, are always oscillating up and down to negative and back up to positive, up and down, up and down, over and over again. So if the basis of our existence, of the polarity, that I can say with confidence that life is full of positive and negative or good and bad at the same time. I heard a quote from Chuck Swindoll once that I memorized the moment I heard it, which goes like this, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. The fact is, there is always good and bad happening to us, and through us, to us and others, every day and every moment. Sometimes, our Adamic nature allows us to react in a negative way, and we offend someone. Well, to rectify it, we need to take the positive step of asking forgiveness of the person and to God in our prayers. So, if we believe in the overarching premise and expect that everything in life is full of good and bad, then you expect to make mistakes. And you, unfortunately, can come to expect that sometimes you will hurt people. But you also accept that you can help inspire and heal people at the same time. It's all about choice. There is a song about guarding the words of your mouth that has a line that says, Let me not speak except to heal. Moreover, if you really have the mindset of learning, learning something, learning anything, all the time, even if just one thing from any bad experience, then the potential of getting stuck in grief or self-doubt is radically lessened. If you can get to the point where you expect to make mistakes, but you are ready to own up to it, to others and to yourself, you can move on. By moving on, do I mean ignoring it and filing it away in some mental filing cabinet? No. That is like running from the wave And at some point, even years later, the wave can catch up to you from behind and knock you down. No, I am suggesting you duck dive right into the wave and prepare, expect, and prepare for the next wave. Like I've been saying, life is full of waves and is built on waves or cycles in life. Instead of filing mistakes away, you can make it a part of you. You can't learn from it if you sweep it under the rug. And to live up to the motto of constantly going from good to better, one has to be cognizant of lessons learned in past mistakes. And again, mistakes can be anything, including offending or hurting somebody, intentionally or unintentionally, from our words and our actions. Most of which, in my opinion, stems from reacting to a situation from a stressed, selfish, sleepy hungry or sad perspective. Being a Christian, though, emulating Jesus provides us the opportunity to learn from those moments. So when a similar situation arises again, you recall that past reaction or poor choice of words. And to emulate Jesus means you try to live out what Jesus said about living in the light and love of the Father. If you recall, Jesus said, and I am paraphrasing, that the kingdom of God is not out there somewhere, but here, in you. If you allow yourself to always be aware and live in it, it has the power to radically change everything. Yes, it is hard, but with God, all things are possible. When God dwells in you, and you live in his kingdom, everything and every moment changes. Through daily, constant, prayer, you can realize that every person you meet is a child of God, or could be. They have the breath of God in them. If they come across as an anti-Christian and take it out on you, then being in the kingdom reminds you not to react in anger, but in sympathy, knowing that the Holy Spirit has been convicting them, and their avoidance to God is a source of their angst. The only right response is words of love and healing, watering gospel seeds that were planted in them, or plant seeds yourself in them. And when you live in the moment and are focused in this way, or in the way you react to everyone you interact with, the mistakes of the past can't find room in your psyche as easily. Because when you are thinking more of others than yourself, don't focus on who you've wronged or did something negative to someone in the past. Do something positive to those around you now, every moment of every day, today. Now, all that said, We really have not addressed the heart of the devotional, the separation. And yet, a part of it does. It focuses on your choice, on your ability to truly let go and let God. Are you a person capable of forgiving yourself? Kind of like when someone is encouraged to believe that they are lovable. Not just if you can love, but are you capable of being loved? And the real rub is if you don't like yourself, you can't like yourself. You find it is hard to allow someone else to love you. Regarding forgiveness in our God, Micah seven eighteen to nineteen states Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in a steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us, he who will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Jesus brought God's plan for forgiveness to completion on the cross. No Old Testament sacrifice or set of religious rules could be followed in accordance worthy enough of the holiness of God. The entire Bible story, the entirety of Scripture, points to the Messiah Christ and his saving act on account of humanity. In Acts 2.38 it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The new life we receive in Christ stems from the forgiveness of our sins. He made a way for us to stand in the presence of God even though we remain susceptible to sin every day of our lives. Being susceptible... Making mistakes or committing sins does not mean we are susceptible from losing God's grace. It simply doesn't. We can't lose God's grace. How do we know that? Well, Jesus said that when you are born again, that your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Think about that for a moment. How far is that? If you had to travel from where you are past the point where Jesus removed your sin to, where would that be and how long would it take to get there? Well, looking at what Jesus said, how far west will you have to go until you get to west? Or actually better stated, how far west will you have to go until you reach east? And if you go east, how long will it take till you finally arrive at east? Or like I just said, the more a- adequate application would be how far do you have to go east till you finally get to west? I think we are pondering a parable of Jesus that some may refer to as a trick question because no matter how long you go east, you will always be west of east. This means that once Jesus has removed your sins, they are truly inaccessible, even by you. You can allow to believe and accept it or not. You have to trust that once you are saved and forgiven, you are covered. God knew and knows that You would make mistakes, commit sin, and sometimes offend people. Not, we would need to get re-baptized every day. This is why, I believe, he was reincarnated. Jesus was born into this world to live, feel, and be human. Meaning, he knows the imperfection of mankind and their sinful nature. And yet, he still came to take all the sins of the world in him. And then was abandoned by his father just as the sacrifice was made complete. So, there is nothing you have gone through, no sin you have committed, no pain you inflicted or felt, that he does not fully understand. God didn't have to forgive us. He chose to. From the beginning, God knew what tomorrow would bring. Jesus came to save us from the curse of sin we cannot release ourselves from. Think about that. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1-7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of His grace. God's forgiveness is a manifestation of His grace. He has been gracious to forgive us. That said, God expects us to pay it forward. When we truly grasp the sacrifice Jesus made and the love God has to forgive us, our genuine faith is illustrated in the way we forgive ourselves and forgive one another. Let us ponder these truths in more of a bulletized format. My God does not condemn. Romans eight, 8 1, quote, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Unquote. Our Lord is grace, not sin. Romans six fourteen quote, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace unquote. My Savior Jesus has set me free, therefore I am free John eight thirty six. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Unquote. The person I was is gone because of Jesus Christ I am new. Second Corinthians five seventeen quote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Unquote. With these verses in mind, are you lugging the load of sin that God has already forgiven? Are you ready to stop living in shame, handcuffed by your regrets? Life is too short to not exchange the freedom of grace for the captivity of unbelief. Allow God to wash the hurt and regret from past sins away. Wash it away with the transforming power of His truth. Today, and let's pray for an accepting heart that lives in the freedom of God's grace and forgiveness. And don't forget this truth. God's forgiveness cannot be lost. Luke seven forty-eight. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Once Jesus forgave the woman at the well, she was radically changed and forever forgiven. We come to God daily to acknowledge the curse of sin that we live under. For all fall short continually. Romans 3:23 I heard a quote once that when you come before God today in the moments after committing some sin you do not need to stumble through the forest of guilt and self-reproach the quote continued confess your sin turn to Jesus and run in the fields of forgiveness i think that was a quote by Scott Hubbard we confess repent and continue on working for the kingdom of god Paul wrote to the Ephesians in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.7 In Christ we live a redeemed life. Jesus once and forever paid the price of our sins. Micah 7.18-19 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? Or viewed another way, Ephesians 1 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his riches and grace. God's forgiveness is a manifestation of his grace. He has been gracious to forgive us. In a few of my previous devotional podcasts, I have encouraged others to try a prayer method that I use, which is to meditate on the scenes of the Bible, especially to meditate on each of the sub-scenes or sub-stories or sub-plots of the Calvary story. All the various phrases Jesus made on the cross that afternoon and to dwell on its meaning and application. For this devotional, i like to focus on the final phrase Jesus uttered, which is, It is finished. Many scholars say that an actual translation from the original text means Jesus said, It is accomplished. The whole point of being born in the manger and his covert mission on earth is accomplished. Contemplate what he really meant by that, and how it applies, and how it can apply to you. To truly live and grow as a forgiven person, you need to accept and walk in the mission accomplished paradigm. It changes everything. There is nothing you can bring to him that he can't forgive, except maybe blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But I contend that there is nothing you can bring to him that has not already been forgiven. God knows what you will ask before you ask it. Remember, prayer does not move God as much as it changes us. Therefore, it is our choice to accept God's gift of forgiveness, as Jesus said, quote, to all that believe, In Matthew 26, 28, he says, "...for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." God does not force us to acknowledge or confess our sins, nor to believe in Jesus Christ and the life he came to give us. The covenant of the Old Testament required various sacrifices. The new covenant we live under now is covered by the blood of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. The long-awaited Messiah, expected to be a military leader coming to conquer the enemies of God's chosen people, instead died a brutal death on the cross, to save the entire world. As we read in Psalms 130, verse 4, With God there is forgiveness, and not out of reluctance or necessity, but out of the overflow of his broad heart. We don't have to make sacrifices like the people of the Old Testament times did, but we do need to confess our sinfulness daily. Remember, Psalms 32, 2 says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. It reminds me of a verse, one that I think I used in last week's episode. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Darkened? Hmm. Interesting. But what is darkness? Many parables talk about those who are not going to heaven as being cast into the darkness. So what is darkness? Well, all I know is I know what it is not. Darkness is not the opposite of light, but simply the absence of light. Therefore, the blood of Jesus is not the destination, but a process. And I contend that it is the entrance fee to get into the light of God. And once there, to stay there, forgiven. Stay forgiven. Bathe in the light. Bathe in the unconditional love God has for you. I am reminded of a song written by Perkins Philip Lee, and I will take out some repetitive chorus lines, but it states... Eternal light has come among mankind, yet mankind has chosen darkness. If we openly confess we need his light, we need his love. Light has created all the world, yet the world did not receive him. If we walk within the light as he is the light, he is the light through we have sinned and will stand forgiven. The Lord our God is one, the Lord is watching from on high. The Lord is one. So let us come as little children to turn from the sins of prideful men. So let us come with hearts of sorrow, so we may know his joy again. To be with him now as little children, so when he reveals himself again, we shall not stand within the darkness. We are not children of darkness. So we will walk in his light until the end. We need his light. We need His love. We need to stand forgiven. That last line always gets me. The analogy, to me, is not someone walking under a street light and standing there. This is much deeper. What does it mean to stand? To stand in the light. To stand forgiven. Well, let's consider Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm first Corinthians six thirteen Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Philippians four one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. In Galatians five one for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That last one is a is a key verse. Jesus provided you with true freedom. Stand firm. Only through you and your choices could you return to walk outside of his grace. Say, by not letting go of your grief, guilt, or guile. Don't be that person. Be the person who lives life as a forgiven person. But how does one stay in the light when life makes you feel like the weatherman you see on TV trying to report in the middle of a hurricane? bending forward and trying not to get pushed back by the wind. Well, I find direction in Philippians four eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there isn't any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The Bible says you become what you dwell upon. Therefore, dwell on the light and love of the Lord. Continually, if you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? If not, I suggest you meditate on the paradigm of the cross and the light of love of God and the phrase Jesus uttered as he passed. It is finished. Why? Because it removes doubt, fear, and pain and also provides the faith needed to endure every trial and, yes, to stand firm knowing that the truth of the gospel is that you are a forgiven person. Go, be that forgiven person, and live in that grace perspective today. If you are not a Christian, if you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you yet, then I suggest you contemplate on what Jesus did for you. Read and meditate on the crucifixion accounts in the Bible, and ask God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with this love and joy today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program, heard every week on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this devotional's image, the separation, along with my other versperations, then check out versperation.com. Singular or robholt.inspires on Instagram. And support for What the Cross Means to Me comes from the generous donations from people like you. To help this ministry share the gospel through imagery, please log on to robbyholt.com and make a donation. That is r-o-b-b-y-h-o-l-t dot com.